We're going to Ephesians chapter 5 today, 1 through 14. It says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless, worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. Christ will give you light. Can we just bow our heads in prayer for a second? Lord, right now, the start of this year, God, we just give you a second, and we just turn our hearts, God, to you. In this moment, God, right now, God, I pray that we just start turning our attention and our affection, God, to you, God. Lord, start working in our hearts and our minds right now, God. Anything that might be causing distance, God. Anything that might be causing darkness on our soul, God. Anything that if I look at and feel a little bit dirty from, God. Just feel a little bit gross, God. Not completely clean, God. Thank you, God, that there's grace and more and enough power from you, God. We come back to you. We join you, God. We partner with you in this moment right here, right now, Father. We give ourselves over to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, go ahead and grab a chair. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Hey, I'm not going to test you today, but our mission statement, vision is where we're going, mission is how we're going to get there, is connecting people to God, people, purpose, and hope. That's how we're going to go and accomplish the mission of Church on the Rock. And the first thing there is connecting to God. And we did a series on this in the fall last year. And the whole point of connecting to God is this thing called spiritual practices. Is that you have a personal responsibility to facilitate your relationship with God. And like any relationship, the more time spent, the more intentionality spent, the greater relationship will grow. And the more time you spend distracted or uh, astray or putting that person aside or not giving them attention, the more it will become fade. And so today we're starting a series, and last week Holly Bailey came and she kind of primed the pump for us. But this, today we're starting a series in a couple weeks here, and we're talking about the spiritual gift, the spiritual discipline, spiritual habit of fasting. Woohoo! Everybody said we're so excited for fasting. I hate food. I uh, I I brought I went out and bought like two dozen donuts today, and I 
putting around the church today just because I wanted to test and see who's jumping on board already. I got to say, we're kicking the whole worship team out of here. Today, we're starting to talk about fasting, and I just want to give you a couple of things. Maybe you are an ardent faster. Maybe this was really part of your life, but some of my impressions from fasting were growing up was that uh, it, it was just kind of legalistic compliance. I, I joke that I'm, I was raised a uh, third Catholic. Our best friends growing up were Catholic, and so there was four of us and five of them, all the same ages, and so I would, I would sleep over their house as much as I'd sleep in my own bed. And so I grew up a lot going to Mass, and every Lenten season that came around, there'd be call, a call for fasting, a call for abstinence, and that's when all of my uh, Catholic, um, what's it called, uh, lactose intolerance friends would give up ice cream. So I was like, okay, so this is something you just do kind of obligatorily towards God. Or maybe you kind of think of just the religious extremists or elites, kind of like D.L. Moody or Reinhard Bonnke or Mother Teresa or something. Like, that's for, like, the uber-Christian. Like, fasting's for the people, like, way over there, like in Africa. Like, that's probably not really for me right now. Or maybe even in the secular, you think of, like, uh, political figures like Gandhi, who would use fasting as a means for political, uh, uh, to, to bring... Um, attention to political issues, right? To use it as a means of power to sway people and to persuade people, right? And even right now, Terry Crews, Mr. Old Spice, maybe you've heard of fasting right now with the resurgence in, uh, in fasting for health reasons, right? Alex, come on. You're going intermittent fasting of going 8, 12, 10, 16 hours between meals. But however you view fasting, my guess is that most of us, probably it's this archaic form of connecting to God that most of us probably don't habitually indulge in. And John Wesley said this. He said, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. And Arthur Wallace, in response to that, he says, in studiously avoiding the one, let us not watch. Let us, let us watch against the other. Meaning that fasting is talked about so much in the Bible. And maybe you come to fasting and think that it's something that's so hard and unreachable that you stay away from it. Or maybe it's something you feel like it's been so disrespected over the years or taken out of proportion over the years that you stay away from it. But we have so much scriptural emphasis on fasting. And so today, this whole series is going to be about fasting and kind of trying to understand it, understand why it's important, understand the benefits and why, why we even participate in something like this. Today's sermon is going to be much less of a sermon, drive, come to the altar kind of call. It's going to be a little bit more educational today. Because I really was thinking as I got down into this and got down into fasting is that there's a lot of assumptions that we might bring to fasting. And there's a lot of base work that we kind of need to understand what fasting is. And I want to give us those kind of history and understanding and the basics of fasting. Because my heart and my goal with this series, it always has been with the series, is that we wouldn't just participate in a 21-day prayer and fast. But we would start bringing these spiritual practices into our life. I've, my, my journey with fasting has drastically shifted in the last seven years. I remember coming out, I think this is the fifth year that we've been doing awakening series. And I remember I was at that time still the youth pastor here. 
and I brought in the only person I knew that had really fasted a lot was Stephen Dominguez, my brother-in-law. And they had done a fast leading up to something in his life, and I didn't really know much, and we were teaching on a youth group. I said, hey, Stephen, you want to teach on fasting? Because I don't know anything about it, man. And so he came in and taught it, and then we started doing the Awakening series, and I started reading the Awakening book by Stovall Weems, and I went through this whole process. And last year I set a goal to, to, for it to be a habitual practice in me. I'm not going to tell you the number of the goal. I'm not going to tell you the number of times I did or didn't fast because that doesn't really matter. But know that I didn't do it as much as I wanted to do it. And so this year as I was approaching fasting again and just studying up again, I was just, again, I've had this been growing emphasis or growing understanding of why fasting is so important. And so I'm excited to bring us all into that. And before we kind of get to the reasons and all the other things, the very first place we need to start is a little bit of our favorite subject, which is history. Stop that, Rachel. Nobody likes history. Okay, we're going to be talking, except for Joe Meyer. We're going to be talking about history today. And so it needs to understand a little bit of the background of, in the biblical background of fasting. And so did you know that there is only one ritualistic time that God calls for fasting in the Bible? It's called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And God would call the whole nation of Israel, the Day of Atonement was one time of the year where the whole Jewish nation would gather together to become uh, right before God. And so he, had call, he called it a Sabbath of Sabbaths, or a rest from all work, even manipulating the jaws to eat. He said, afflict yourself with fasting. And so he calls the people of God to resist food and stop food. Come in full rest, full stop before him in the day of atonement. That was under the Mosaic law. And then by the time we get to Zechariah, so we have one time called by God, we get to Zechariah, we find that they have, the Jews and the Israelites had established four seasons of fasting. And so four times throughout the year, on top of the day of atonement, we see that they have established fasting for four times that the nation had suffered tragedy. The rise of Babylon, the exile of the Jewish nation, the scattering of their people. And they came together to fast, to abstain from food, to mourn the tragedy that happened to their nation. So we have the Day of Atonement, and then four times outside of that in Zechariah. And then you often see public, corporate, national fast in time of calamity, distress, or national emergency. The leader, or maybe even God at the time, will call and say, you need to come to fast. There's, there's, this, there's this war coming, or these people oppressing you, or the flood rises, or water, or whatever. Something bad is happening, and so they knew that they needed the presence of God, and so the people would gather together to fast. And then you get to Luke chapter 18. All of that's Old Testament. Skip all the way forward to the New Testament. You have Luke chapter 18, verse 11. It says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. And so we see that in the New Testament, and we find there's other ancient documents outside of the Bible, other Jewish ancient documents, that show that there developed this pattern of fasting that was expected to fast twice a week. And so there was actually expectation of that you would be fasting twice a week. And typically that's from sunup to sundown or sundown to sundown. So a 12-hour fast or a 24-hour fast. John Wesley, who is 1700s famous Methodist preacher, he found this, he saw this, that this was a, a pattern that had been practiced, and he revived this. He said, in the Methodist church, he upheld them to fast every Wednesday 
and Friday. He even took it to the point where he wouldn't ordain ministers if they were abstaining from this practice. Incredibly important spiritual discipline that's ingrained in our church history. Richard Foster shows these examples from the Bible. Moses, the lawgiver, facet, David, the king, Elijah, the prophet, Esther, the queen, Daniel, the seer, Anna, the prophetess, Paul, the apostle, and lastly, Jesus Christ, the incarnate son. We have a rich history of fasting. Example on top of example, almost every patriarch of the faith that we have in the Bible, that you look at and you see these heroes of the faith participated in fasting. And so the common question that we get to this was, isn't that just an Old Testament thing, though? Isn't that in, completed in Christ? Do I, do I have to do that still? Is that still a, New Testament, uh, still a New Testament practice? Are we still supposed to uphold this? And the common answer to that is Matthew chapter 6. So if you brought your Bible today or you have your digital Bible in hand, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And you may want to highlight this verse. And by the way, this whole series is actually called Awakening. The whole point of this series, and we've done it for five years in a row now at the beginning of the year, and the tagline to this whole thing is that if this is your best year spiritually, it will be your best year yet. I don't know about you guys, but I was talking before church started, a couple people, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of, we just, because of people being sick or out of town or whatever, we just had our last family Christmas gathering yesterday. Okay, and my tree is finally down, everything's packed away, and I'm kind of ready to get into the new year. I'm kind of ready to start it and stuff, but I'm feeling those Christmas cookies inside me. I'm feeling all that excess. I'm just feeling that kind of all that shopping they had to do and everything. I'm kind of feeling that tugging me down, and there's this sleepiness, this sluggishness, this lethargy that comes on us. And so the whole idea of the awakening series is that we awake, that we wake up. Wake out of that. Shake those things off and let's start this new year right. So you get to Matthew chapter 6 and it says this. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they, look, they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. When you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. And so is, you know, is, is fasting Old Testament only? And we come to this first teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. of He's saying, when you fast. When you fast. Not, not if you fast, or should you fast, or you probably should fast. He says, when you fast. And so the common answer to that question is that we come back to this point of saying, Jesus had this assumption that we will fast. And what's really interesting about this verse, and I've not seen this before, is that this is a core of three, three practices. This is the last on a section of teaching that Jesus is giving. He talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. In our day and age, we barely balk at giving or tithing or offerings, and we don't neglect prayer at all. But when it comes to fasting, it's something that we hardly ever participate in. I like this quote from Richard Foster. He says, certainly as, as we have as much, if not more, evidence from the Bible for fasting as we have for giving. Perhaps in our affluent society, 
Fasting involves a far larger sacrifice than giving money. So Jesus doesn't command a fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He just says when you fast. So still the critic will sometimes take this verse and they'll look at it and say, well, he says when you fast. He doesn't say. It's not explicitly a command. So that's like saying when I go to Culver's, order a salad. If I never go to Culver's, then I don't have to order a salad. I can eat a burger anywhere else I want. Just don't go to Culver's, okay? And so I want to take you to Jesus' second teaching on fasting. Go just a couple chapters to the right and go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. And Jesus again. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why do your disciples fast? Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do the wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would just shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. And so we come to Jesus' second teaching in Matthew chapter 9. And this is probably the strongest evidence that I can give you or can find scriptural support for fasting as a, as a natural means, as a, as a normal means or a normal ha habit in our life. And so Jesus is here on earth. And he suspends fasting. Because there's something interesting that comes with fasting is there's a lot of emotions wrapped around spiritual practices. Because we're emotional people. Often, I think, a lot of us, we either, we, we either think, we feel, or we act. And sometimes we mix up those things and you, you may be led by one or the other, but they all kind of happen. And a lot of us feel things and then we act upon those things. And so most every time I can find about fasting in the Bible, there's the emotions wrapped around it are sadness, grief, mourning, Feelings that we often associate as negative or just being mournful. But we don't do that. The bridal party doesn't cry. Mom and dad cry at a wedding. The bridal party are the crazy people that everybody else sits back and they watch them dancing or having fun or just doing crazy things, just rejoicing and celebrating. Some of the happiest moments of my life is when we had all of our friends, Amy and I, together for that whole weekend. We got to do the wedding rehearsal and have the party afterwards and be with our friends and just people that loved us and cared for us, friends from high school and college and, and workplace and all these people just around us and celebrating. It's just some of the happiest moments of my life. And imagine if I had been with all those people and we just got done with the wedding rehearsal and we're going to the restaurant to get cheeseburgers or whatever and I say, guys, I'm actually fasting right now. Wouldn't that just kind of be a damper on the whole party kind of thing? You don't go to a party and say, hey, sorry, I'm fasting right now. Just Can you just put the plate of carrots out or whatever, okay? It's kind of a damper on the situation. And Jesus is saying the same thing. I am the answer. I am the Messiah. I'm here with you right now. Fasting is mourning. Fasting is weeping. Fasting is waiting in anticipation of the answer to come. But Jesus is saying, I'm here now. You don't need to fast. You actually need to do the opposite. You need to feast. 
Because there's this opposite too. God's balanced. He calls for times of fasting, but he also calls for times of feasting. Zechariah 8, 18 through 19. He says, here's another message that came to me from the Lord of heavens, heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. The traditional fasts and times of mornings that you've kept early summer, midsummer, autumn and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and celebration for the people of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. Jesus is saying that in God's presence, there's not fasting. Because fasting is this desiring or being sad at the lack of intimacy with the Father. There was mourning and sadness and anticipation of being in God's presence. And so there was common times of fasting. Why did they fast on the Day of Atonement? Because they were far from God. Sin had separated them from God. But Jesus came back and said, I'm here. I'm here. The answer is right here. And we're not going to get deep into the wineskin metaphor and the patch metaphor, but I really believe that Jesus is coming and saying, there was an old law, an old covenant. You, in old times, previous to me, you had to come and make right. One day of the year, you had become clean. Put all the sins of all the people onto animals and send them off and sacrifice them. But guess what? The old law is gone. And Jesus does this again and again and again. He doesn't just come and tweak a law or fix a law. He throws it completely out, puts it on its head upside down and says, this is a new way of living. And so Jesus is coming and saying, right now, there's a new way of living. But yet, we've talked about this before. We're kind of in, in the middle, in between time. And so we no longer mourn Jesus is coming because he's here. We know who the Messiah is. We know the hope of our salvation, Jesus Christ. But yet, the second coming has not happened yet. And so, Jesus says, and he doesn't just say his disciples or his followers. He's talking about all of this. Everybody after him will follow him. Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday, the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. And Jesus was taken away. He ascended and left and sent the Holy Spirit in his place. But he has not returned yet. And that's the second coming that we're anticipating. And in that absence and in that waiting period, in that time, fasting is still applicable. I think that when we are reunited with Christ in heaven and his kingdoms here and present on earth, the fasting will be done away with. I think it's going to be internal feasting. But right now, in this present in-between moment, when life isn't as it should be, and we weep and cry because it's not what it's been promised yet, because we still deal with pain, we still deal with frustration, we still deal with dismay and discouragement, we anticipate God's coming. We anticipate his restoring work. I told you, I just read you Zechariah. Those were the four seasons. Those were the four fasts that the Jews had initiated, human-initiated annual fast because of tragic events that had befallen their nation. And God sends this message to them and saying, these times that you fasted and mourned, you're not even going to think about the bad times. I'm going to restore them and fix them and heal them where all these times of mourning and sadness are going to turn to feasting and joy. God's coming to restore it, but it's not happened fully yet. Fasting is a way of intentionally positioning ourselves 
to be more intimately connected to God. Fasting is a way of intentionally positioning ourselves to be more intimately connected to God. And one of the things that I want to address in this sermon today is why we fast. The actual intentionality behind it. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the books or other sermons or times that we have talked about fasting, I've listened to those, those other talks and stuff, it's, there's almost a bribing essence to it. Almost a goading, like you really should fast because you're going to tap into power and healing and freedom and all these amazing things that come from fasting. Like, it's it kind of almost ingrained in us that if you, if you fast, if you just skip a meal or something, all of a sudden you're going to be able to control God and control the power and manipulate him to do what you're hoping to do. What are you fasting for? Well, if I just go 24 hours without eating fast food, then he's going to come and interact how I want him to interact. And we look at fasting and we think, I fast because I want something to happen. But fasting is not a manipulation of God. And so we're actually going about the process backwards if we fast because we want something. That does not work in my house. If my kids come to me and they say, can I play, can I play on the iPad for 18 hours? Or can I have, uh, for us right now, it's gum. They're obsessed with gum and I really want gum. And our rule in the house is you can't have gum until you're four years old. It's a big deal, a walking of right. We go to the 7-Eleven, we pick out a piece of gum. You're now a man, you can chew gum. It's a big deal, okay? But Norton's been able to walk that rite of passage all the time. Can I have gum? Can I have gum? So if I said, nope, you can't have gum, it's crazy to think that if she just goes on a hunger strike for a meal or a whole day, that I'll be like, yeah, have as much gum as you want. I've changed my mind. You want the iPad too? Here's the keys to the car. Like, I'm not just going to release everything because she skipped a meal. Big woohoo. I don't care. <laughs> I, the next meal will be here. It's broccoli. Eat it or don't. I don't care. You're not going to kill yourself. And sometimes we approach God like that. Like, if we fast just a little bit, then we'll be able to manipulate him and do what we want. And maybe we don't consciously think that, but the emphasis is on what we get out of fasting. I fast and then I get great power. I fast and I get connection to God. I fast and I get whatever. And there's lots of amazing second benefits to fasting, but it's not the primary reason that we fast. The first and foremost reason, and Richard Foster says it great, he says, fasting must forever center on God. Again, going to Zechariah 7.5, he says, say to all your people, your priests, during these seven, 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer or the early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? Some versions say, was it a fast unto me? And isn't it interesting that Jesus' first teaching on fasting in Matthew 6 deals with the heart? Why are you fasting? Are you fasting so people look at you and say, wow, that guy fasts. Wow, that person has power. Wow, that person must really love Jesus. They fast. He deals with the heart motive of fasting. And we're going to get into all the benefits of fasting. And we're going to get into what can happen when you do participate in fast. And there's amazing things, amazing breakthrough that can come through fasting. I really believe that. But it's not the primary reason that we fast. The other things are just benefits of why we fast. 
It just kind of seems to be the way we are, though, sometimes. It's easy to, to look at the gift and ignore the giver. And maybe on Christmas Day, if you've ever had that, where you go to a family's house, whatever, and kids are opening presents, what do you tell them? You say, go tell X, Y, and Z, thank you for the gift. Christmas isn't about just getting all these gifts and attaining more and more and more. It's about the spirit of giving. The spirit of remembering, right? And so whenever you open that gift, you say, go tell grandpa and grandma, thank you. Or go tell grandma and grandpa, thank you. Yes, I know you already have that toy at home. Don't worry about it. Just don't, just shut up. Go say hi. Go say thank you. And it's easy to focus on what we're receiving instead of the person extending it and giving it. So why do we fast? We fast because it, it fosters intimacy with God. We fast because we want to draw closer to God. We fast because we want to come into communication with God. Fasting is just another way that you can communicate with somebody. You know, my wife, it, it's interesting is that when, when she says something, have you ever had this moment where you're talking to somebody and kind of like half listening, like you're on your phone or you're driving or you're watching a movie or something, and, and they're talking and talking, and all of a sudden something just really catches your ear and you go full stop. Like, wait, stop, pause the movie, or you're like, you actually like put down your phone, look right at them and say, what did you say? She did what? Like, whatever it is, okay, that's caught your attention. That's kind of what fasting is like. It's a full stop on distractions, a full stop on things that may have been catching your eye, and it's a focused attention on God. It's this focusing and sharpening of really drawing in to be intimately and saying, I am, I am here. I am going to give up food. I'm going to go without so I can focus on, what, on you, God. A sharpening of relationship with him. So why do we fast? Is it primarily to receive a response or a fork in the road? Is it to receive more power, to see a nation change? Fasting is a response to life in which we turn to God. Now, actually, we have a diagram, guys, if you can throw that up there. Richard Foster, and this is a little plug for the website. If you're new to this and you're looking for more resources, we, go check out the website and app right now. We have a lot of ways and information for you, too. And there's even a reading list there of a couple different books that suggest that you might go read if you want to get more into this. And Richard Foster came up with this, and he said, fasting primarily is a response. And so, A, you have a sacred moment. And a sacred moment is a time where something happens where it shouldn't happen. Or a time that happens where you feel an absence of God in that moment. And that can look like a lot of things. It can look like death or sin, fear, response, threats, needs, sickness, the absence of God. What happens when a loved one passes? What happens when you're worried about something? Naturally, a lot of times, you'll stop eating. It's ironic because that's when everybody brings you food. But it's this time of when naturally the body's response is to, to stop eating. And so it's a natural fast. Lynn Babb says it this way. When we are deeply absorbed in grief... Habitual activities and normal pleasures feel inappropriate, out of place. We want to shout, stop the world. The one I loved is no longer alive. I can't bear it. That desire to stop everything normal, to let ourselves be absorbed by our loss and pain, is manifested by stopping our consumption of food. And so you may experience something in life 
that feels like a sacred moment. And fasting is a response to that moment. The only natural thing you can do is to abstain from food to focus and connect to God. And so our focus a lot of times goes from B to C, though, where we fast in order to receive something, to find results, life and forgiveness, safety, hope, answers, health, power, intimacy with the Father. But the focus for us should not be on the B to C. It should be the A to B. Often my first response is to run away from the moment, to cover it up with the pizza pizza or another binge show, or to numb myself out to it instead of to engage God in that moment. Fasting is actually a way to turn to God in moments of trial. Fasting is a way to bring your whole self before God. Fasting is a way to respond to life's natural phenomenons. And why absence of God is on that list is because the Israelites, and we see times where they felt God's presence lacking, and it was so grievous to them that they felt like the only appropriate response was to fast, have God interact with him again. And so the process of fasting is that fasting should be, and is in a lot of ways, a natural response for us. But the spiritual emphasis is that it should be a spiritual response for us. When I encounter something at work, when something's going on in our nation, when something's going on personally with me, when I feel an absence or a lethargy in my spirit, a natural result could be fasting. And then a result of that could be a lot of those things on the right-hand side. But that's not the reason we fast, is to get from God. We fast because it's a response to a situation that happened to us in life. You know, we, this, our body, we're composed of different things, right? Our mind, our heart, and our soul. And fasting actually brings those three elements of ourselves into alignment and positions our whole self before God. Scott McKnight, he talks about it as the fasting's body talk or body pleading or body prayer. Praying to God with your body, not just your words. It's kind of a beautiful thing, bringing your whole self before God. And John Piper says it this way, they were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies, not just the hunger of our hearts. Maybe you've heard it said this way, that we starve the body to feast on the spirit. That as you start experiencing those hunger pains, because this is, this is the one thing I do know for sure about fasting, is when you stop eating food, you're going to feel hunger pains. And as you start feeling those things, you start directing your mind and your spirit. God, I pray that I start having a hunger, like I hunger for this. I pray I start having a hunger for more of your spirit. God, I, start, I pray that you would help me start feasting on yourself. I pray that I start finding my, uh, my substance, substance in you. Fasting very quickly shows us all the ways that we find ways to, to supply, to, to fill ourselves other than God. And that's why we opened up with that passage in, in Ephesians today. There's so many other ways that we can try to supply and to fill ourselves than God. And fasting is one of the quickest and fastest ways to remind you that God is the only thing that can satisfy and fill you. 
If you've ever broken a fast early, you made a commitment to go X amount of time and just couldn't make it, and you just go and you, you indulge and you eat all this food, you probably felt a very quickly a, this regret. And already, I wish I hadn't done that. I, I wish I had stuck it out the last five, three, four, six hours, and I just, this, this, this feeling of, man, that didn't fill me. I'm full now, overly so, but that, I just feel bad that I didn't go all the way. Because fasting reminds us that God fills us. So I told you today, today's not going to be this scriptural sermon pushing thing. We're going to end today's sermon with just some real basics and practical ways to start engaging into the fast. So this year I'm really, really pushing, and, hope, and this is what the push is, is that we would gather four times starting this Tuesday. I don't remember all the dates, but it's January 11th is the first one. Four weeks right in a row we're going to come back in this room, we'll worship, and we'll pray. And then leading up to that, as a corporate body, we're engaging in fasting. And so you can either, uh, a lot of traditionally in the Bible, what they would see is it would be sundown to sundown. So you might go a meal, you might go Monday night, tomorrow night, you might eat dinner, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, stop eating food. And then not eat again until Tuesday uh, after we're done praying, and we all go to Culver's and get a salad, okay? But let's start, just a few practicals, and the very, the very first thing that, one other kind of, something that we can get, uh, it's pretty common to think about, is when we talk about fasting, we think about partial fasting or abstinence. And so we think about fasting, and biblically, the only thing, the only fast we've seen, you know, it's crazy, I've studied the Bible hours looking for this. I cannot find a single place where God says or his people say, I will fast from social media and Facebook. It's crazy, you know? The only thing I can find, I was expecting a bigger laugh there, but that's okay. It's fine. It's fine, guys. There's lots of things we can fast from, and we get to think that we hear about the, the, the Daniel fast or partial fast. And, you know, I had a student one year that, well, most every student I've ever had that says they're going to fast. You know the number one thing they say they're going to fast from? Homework. Okay. But this one student I had said they're going to fast from milk. And I was like, you're going to fast from milk? They're like, yeah. They're like, you have no idea how much I love milk. Okay, man, just do it. You do that. It's fine. But the things that we see in fasting, fasting, Scott McKnight again, fasting is choosing not to indulge in food and sustenance. The biblical sense of fasting normally involves not eating or drinking, or, or drinking except for water, anything from sunup to sundown, 12 hours, or perhaps from sundown to sundown, 24 hours. Partial food fasts or fasting from other pleasures is better termed as abstaining. Abstaining is great. I've done it, I don't, pretty much every awakening, we tie in some kind of abstaining too. We, it's either just a Daniel fast or, you know, whatever, social media or something like that, just to give kind of a boost. But a lot of those things are for health reasons, not for spiritual reasons. The biblical thing that I see in the Bible is when you fast, it was a, it was a stopping of food and a stopping of liquid that was sustaining so not eating anything except for water for a period of time. Now, with this, I want to give a little caveat. Um, if you are a diabetic child, woman who's pregnant or nursing, if you have a serious disease or you're sick or you're infirmed, 
fasting is probably not, not a good idea for you. And that's a great time to substitute abstaining in. But you just, uh, early on when we didn't, we still don't know what we're doing, but we're trying to do things. Amy and I were engaging in fasting and stuff like that. She almost blacked out a couple times because she was like pregnant and stuff. Like, just don't do that. But there's other ways for you to engage in this. But that might be kind of a big jump for you. I don't know about you, but for me, when I first kind of encountered this idea about two years ago is that really stopping, deleting Instagram and Facebook and not watching TV for 21 days is not fasting. It's abstaining from something. It's good. It had an addictive nature over me or whatever, and I, I got a lot of benefit, but the foundation we're trying to set is understanding what fasting is. And fasting, very simply put, is not eating food or drinking anything of substance. So, a couple, four practical steps. Start small. This may be really new for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're really seasoned in this, and that's awesome. But I would guess for a lot of us, this is probably a pretty new or unused practice a lot. So start small. If going 24 hours is really hard, and I promise you, if you've never done this before, you do it infrequently, 24 hours doesn't sound like a lot. You're like, ah, it's fine. But believe me, by lunchtime, about 2 o'clock, you're going to be like, I don't know if I can make it, and I'm really mad, and everybody's annoying, and don't talk to me. Okay, stuff like that. So you might start small. Maybe skip a meal. Skip just lunch and go six hours and come to prayer night tomorrow. Skip breakfast and lunch and go 12 hours, come to prayer. And maybe after a couple weeks, skip dinner from Monday night all the way to Tuesday evening and go 24 hours. Start small. Take some baby steps. Before you start, you're going to want to start weaning yourself off of Christian's favorite addiction, which is caffeine. It's the only one we're allowed to do. We can't smoke, we can't drink, but we can drink as much coffee or monsters as we want. So you're going to want to start probably weaning yourself off of that because you may realize you're going to start actually having withdrawal symptoms from that, of feeling angry or headaches or migraines and stuff because you're so, our bodies are so accustomed to that influx of energy. So you're going to want to start weaning yourself off of that before you go into your fast. So start small, start with that. Remember, this isn't a badge. You're not earning anything. You're not earning a bigger house in heaven or special favor from God. It's creating a desire for intimacy with God and space and focus to connect with God. So one, start small. Two, plan your fast. Uh, we have it on the app. We have it on the, uh, the, the uh, church website. But I really, really encourage you to go get a physical edition of the, the fasting guide this year. It's at the events table. There's lots of room in it. Plan your fast out. Plan this out. We're actually going to be in the awakening series for a little bit longer than 21 days. We I just have more stuff that I want to get through on fasting and stuff. But this has a plan where you can plan that out, a calendar in there where you can plan out the, the times we're doing the prayer nights and all that. What's it going to look like for you? What's a prayer focus for you? What are you actually going into this for? And it's so easy that the temptation, I said this I think last week, is that you start fasting, you go all day without eating, but your day was so busy, you weren't going to eat anyways, and it's 3 o'clock on a Monday, and you're just mad, and you're like, why am I fasting anyways? I haven't even stopped to pray. This booklet is broken into morning, noon, and night. And they're each, I read today's one, and it took me about two minutes. It's very, very quick. Give you a quick prayer focus a quick word to think about and just help you to intentionally put your thoughts on God. A lot of people have said that if you fast without praying or intentionally giving yourself to God, all you're doing is going on a diet. 
okay? So it's intentionally finding ways of stopping something and starting something. So plan it out. How is it going to actually look for you? Three is practice. Um, if you get real hungry and you're just about to give in in that 6, 12, 24-hour fast, eat something bland. Eat a carrot. Some of us would be like, I'd rather not eat anything than a raw carrot. Okay? But go eat a carrot or eat a saltine cracker. Just eat a few things that might sustain you and help you because it's a practice. They're called spiritual practices, right? And it's something that we don't just get right. We're not expecting you. I don't think God expects you to just be able to walk into a 40-day fast right here, right now. Tomorrow starts now. There's this idea that God works with us and he helps us to crawl and then walk and then run and then leap, right? We don't just jump full force into something. It's a practice and we mess up and we get to try it again next week and next week and next week. All spiritual disciplines are designed to help us draw closer in your relationships. And so if you find yourself getting mad at God or getting mad at people around you, because you realize very quickly you go without food that you are very conditioned to being full three times a day and snacks in the middle of that. And when you go without that, irritability comes out. And it's very quickly take that out on people around you. One of the most important things as we go into this practice is to monitor your heart. Is it full of anger? Is it frustrated? Because your spiritual discipline should be growing a sense of love for God and for other people around you. And so if you feel those things, you feel that spirit of anger in you, address it right on and say, God, spirit of anger, get out. As I feel these hunger pains, as I feel this lack of food, help me to draw closer to you. Help me to have a growing desire of hunger for you. And finally this, our heart again is that we would build this practice into our life as a habitual way of connecting with God. Not just something we do once at the beginning of the year and then it's over and until next year. It's something that we start doing as God prompts you to do it. As you start planning to do it. And so I would really, even though we're going to push four weeks here as a group, as a corporate prayer and worship, four weeks in a row, I'd encourage you to go six, six-ish, seven weeks and put this into practice. Help you to start developing, it, developing this as a habit. And there's even spots in here. Journal. Tuesday number one. I went, skipped one meal and I was incredibly hungry and had a lot of caffeine withdrawal. I didn't, I didn't really know, I didn't really get a lot out of this. Week two, did anything change? Week three, what could change on week number six or seven of practicing going a six, 12, or 24-hour fast? We see in the Bible multiple ways that fasts happen. Corporately, individually, privately, uh, uh, in front of everybody. We see lots of ways that it happens. For the sake of practicing and getting this into our DNA and into our church culture, I would encourage you to find people that are close to you and work on this together. It's going to be a lot easier and actually build some excitement if you have a small group, a friend at church, you know, hey, do you want to commit to going prayer nights with me and trying to start fasting and just getting coffee or talking once a week to hear how it's going? Even distant friends. This is a great one to do if you have somebody that's not even close, but maybe I have one high school friend that we've, he was my second friend that I ever made in my life, and I, we're still connected today. 
And even though we're distanced by years and time and miles, we still talk about things. We still talk about our kids and our lives and stuff. This is something I could pick up the phone and call Vincent tomorrow and be like, hey, do you want to start fasting with me one day a week? And then we just talk about it. Invite somebody in your life to do this with. Because it's going to be beneficial for you and for them and keep accountability there. Think about how this is going to affect the people around you. If you're choosing to fast and maybe your whole family's not fasting, maybe tell your significant other that, hey, I'm going to fast on Tuesday so that you don't come to the dining room table and you're like, I'm not going to eat. And they're like, I just made this meal for you for an over an hour. You're not going to eat it? Let the people think about what you're doing, how it affects the other people around you. Yeah? And lastly, I've already said it about 18 times. We're fasting Monday night through Tuesday night. Prayer night's right here. The focus this season around church is to gather together in prayer. As Joe says it, we're just going to eat some rug. We're just going to put our faces down on the carpet and we're going to pray before God on Tuesday. We don't need to be, we don't, it doesn't need to be fancy, it doesn't need to be crazy, it doesn't need to be fog machines. God will, I mean, God can connect in those situations, but all God needs is your attention. He needs you. That's why connecting to God is your responsibility, not ours. We all have a responsibility to connect to God. We have to learn to foster that on our own. And so prayer night is designed that it's not a, a, a front stage, somebody up here, you never get a chance to interact. It's a, it's a thing where we all get to do together. We'll come up and say, pray about this. And then you go and spread out or stay in your seat or turn around and get on your knees or stand or whatever you need to do. And you start praying about your school or family or whatever you're feeling. Come out. The big push for this January season is that we would be doing this together and growing together in this. Church, that's it today. <laughs> How do you like that for an ending? Can we just stand and pray?